friend. My name is Johnny Bailey, and I'm not from around here anymore. But once upon a time, I was a part of this place, a part of the tangled web of stories and secrets that make up the history of Witchcrest Peak and Shadowbrook Camp. And now, from beyond the veil, I'm here to share those stories with you. So come along with me and let me take you on a journey through the haunted past of this cursed town. Oh, don't worry about the horse. This trek is better done on foot. Nestled within the sprawling forest and rolling hills of the American frontier lies a valley that seems untouched by time. At the center of this valley stands a towering mountain, Witchcrest Peak, its jagged silhouette rising high above the trees like the hunched shoulders and twisted features of a witch. The mountain is surrounded by a vast expanse of wilderness, where the forest is thick with towering pines and rocky outcroppings, and the streams run clear and cold. The valley is dotted with small homesteads and farms where hardy settlers have made a life for themselves amidst the rugged terrain. But despite the beauty of the mountain and the valley around it, there is an unmistakable feeling of unease that pervades the air. It is as if the very land is holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. Perhaps it is the legends of the Native Americans, warning of a malevolent force that lurks within the mountain. Or perhaps it is the ghosts of the miners who once toiled in the depths of the earth, seeking their fortune. Whatever the reason, the valley of Witchcrest Peak is a place of mystery and intrigue, where the past and present seem to blur together in a haze of whispers and shadows. And it is within this valley that our story begins. The peak is shrouded in mist and shadow, and tales abound of strange creatures that roam the area, preying on unwary travelers. But despite the dangers, people are drawn to the valley below where a once thriving mining town called Shadowbrook Camp lies in ruins. What happened to the town? Why did the miners abandon it? And what supernatural forces are at work in the surrounding mountains? These are the questions that haunt those who dare to venture into this mysterious and treacherous land, a place of ghosts and secrets, where the past lingers like a haunting melody, and the present is filled with danger and uncertainty. Are you brave enough to explore its mysteries? Welcome to Zarya Hollow, where the past is never truly gone. Deep within the forest surrounding Zarya Hollow's estate lies a hidden gem of the valley's history, a forgotten cemetery. It's a place where the spirits of the past still linger, their stories waiting to be discovered by those who dare to venture there.
Welcome to the world of Shadowbrook Camp, a once thriving mining town that now stands abandoned. Many say the mines dried up, but the truth is much darker. Something supernatural happened here. Something that drove the townspeople away and left the town to crumble into ruins. The town sits at the base of Witchcrest Peak, a looming mountain that casts a shadow over the valley below. And nearby, on the outskirts of town, is the estate of Reinhard Hendrickson, a powerful and wealthy man who now alone tends the forgotten graves. But let's rewind a bit and explore the history of Shadowbrook Camp. The town was founded in the late 1800s when prospectors discovered rich veins of silver and gold in the surrounding hills. The town quickly grew, with miners and their families moving in from all over the country. But as the town prospered, so did the rumors of something dark lurking in the mountains. The Native Americans who once called this land their home revered Witchcrest Peak and its nature. They believed harming the mountain itself in any way would inflict a terrible curse. But settlers and mining concerns arrived in the area, eager to make their fortune. And as they dug deeper into the mountain, they awakened a malevolent force that had long been dormant. This force was the Wendigo, a supernatural creature that preyed on the greed and desperation of humans. It took many forms, luring miners deep into the tunnels and then devouring them. Despite the warnings and tales of the Native Americans' tribes that still remained in the area, the miners persisted in their quest for wealth. And soon the town of Shadowbrook Camp was thriving. But the Wendigo was not satisfied. It grew stronger with each passing day, and its hunger for human flesh could not be satiated. It began to haunt the town, stealing away miners and their families in the dead of night. And then, one fateful night, it struck. massive explosion rocked the mines, burying alive those who hadn't already fallen victim to the Wendigo's wrath. Those who survived the blast fled the town, leaving behind their homes, their belongings, and their dead. And now, all that remains is the forgotten cemetery, tended by the eccentric Reinhard Hendrickson. But once there was another presence in Shadowbrook camp that the townspeople adored. Her name was Zarya. Zarya was Reinhardt's daughter, and she was only nine years old when they arrived in town. Despite her youth, she quickly became a beloved member of the community. She had a beautiful singing voice and would often sing outside the mine for the men as they worked, earning her the nickname the Songbird. As Reinhardt tended to the cemetery, Zarya would play in the fields around their estate. She had a kind heart and would often bring food and supplies to the families of the miners who were struggling to make ends meet. Her generosity and innocence endeared her to everyone in town, and soon the estate became known as Zariya's Hollow rather than the Hendrickson House. But tragedy struck in 1873 when little Zariya fell ill. Despite Reinhardt's best efforts to save her, she passed away just two years after they arrived in town. The entire community mourned her loss and many believe that her death was the beginning of the town's descent into darkness. And yet Reinhardt refused to leave the town. He stayed behind, caring for the graves and protecting the forgotten souls of those who had died in the mines. 
Over time, he became known as a mysterious and reclusive figure, feared by some and respected by others. But despite his reputation, Reinhardt continued to care for the town and its people, living out his final years in solitude until his own death in 1875. And even now, their spirits remain, watching over the town and the abandoned mines, waiting for those brave enough to explore the mysteries of Shadowbrook Camp. Won't you come to my hollow and play with me? <laughs> Funerals and tombstones aren't for the dead, they're for the living. It's a way for us to say goodbye, to pay our respects, and to find closure. But what's written on those tombstones, what's said in those eulogies, might not always be true. This is the sad tale of Mrs. Adeline Thornway, who loved a little girl to the moon and back. Adeline Thornway was hired by the Hendrickson family as a housekeeper in Shadowbrook Camp, a small town in the middle of nowhere. Despite her stern nature, Adeline had a heart of gold for the young Zaria, daughter of her employer, whom she protected from the harsh realities of the world, even though she was addressed as Mrs. Adeline, she was never married. It was just the way things were back then, when women who were unmarried were often called Miss or Mrs. out of respect. But for Adeline, being a housekeeper was more than just a job. It was her entire life. But Adeline had a dark past. She came from the Witchcrest Peak area, where she was mistreated by the townspeople for having six fingers on her left hand, a mark of her uniqueness that had only added to her misery. Her father, who saw it as a curse, had hidden her away from the world and never let her leave their small cabin in the woods. Adeline, what in tarnation are you doing? Get back inside this instant, young lady. But Papa, I want to go outside like the other children. You're a freak, a blemish on this family's reputation. No daughter of mine is going to gallivant around town with that extra finger of yours. Never, Adeline. You will never leave this house as long as I live. <laughs> One day, several years later, Adeline woke to the sound of glass shattering. She made her way downstairs to find her father in a drunken stupor, had fallen and broken one of the bottles he had been drinking from. Adeline knew better than to try and help him. He would only lash out at her, so she retreated back to her room. As she lay there, after some time, she heard another bottle breaking, and then she heard a loud thud. When she went back down, she found her father on the floor, unmoving. He had fallen again, and this time, he wouldn't get up. I should feel something, shouldn't I? Sorrow, regret, maybe even a hint of relief. But all I can think about is how free I am now. Free from his tyranny, free from his fists, free to make my own way in the world. It's not like I'm glad he's dead, not exactly. But I can't say I'll miss him either. He made my life a living hell from the moment I was born. Always criticizing, always belittling, always reminding me that I was nothing more than a burden to him. And now he's gone, dead from his own excesses, his own demons. I should feel something, shouldn't I? But all I feel is a sense of liberation, of being unchained from the past. Maybe now I can finally start living. Maybe now I can finally find my place in the world. And who knows? Maybe there's even a chance for happiness out there somewhere. It's a long shot, I know. But for the first time in a long time, I have hope. And that's something. After her father's death, Adeline took it upon herself to bury him in the only place they could afford, a pauper's grave. It was hard work digging the hole and dragging her father's heavy body to the gravesite. But she did it, 
all by herself. There was no one to mourn him, no one to say goodbye. Adeline buried him and walked away, leaving him to rest in an unmarked grave. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. Adeline knew she couldn't stay in that house forever, living with the memory of her father's abuse. It wasn't until later that evening, when she was alone in her room, that she allowed herself to relax a bit. She picked up the newspaper her father had left behind and began to read. It was the first time she had ever read a newspaper, and she was fascinated by the stories of the world beyond her small town. And then she saw it. Housekeeper wanted. Hendrickson Hall seeks a competent and reliable woman for the position of housekeeper. Duties include cooking, cleaning, laundry, and general management of the household. Experience in housekeeping and cooking required. Knowledge of medicinal herbs a plus. Salary commensurate with experience. Board and lodging provided. Applications accepted in person at Hendrickson Hall or by post. Only serious applicants need apply. The ad for a housekeeper at Hendrickson Hall. It was like a sign from above telling her that she was meant to be there. And with that realization, she felt a sense of purpose and determination that she had never known before. As she drifted off to sleep that night, she knew that her life was about to change forever. And even though she was naive and inexperienced, she was ready to take on whatever challenges lay ahead. For the first time in her life, Adeline felt a glimmer of hope. She could leave this shack, these memories, this life behind. She could start fresh. She sent a letter to the Hendrickson address and waited anxiously for a response. And when it came, she knew her life was about to change. Inquire of Mr. Reinhardt Hendrickson. Those were the words that caught my eye, that set me on the path to Shadowbrook. I had been searching for work, for a way to support myself and start anew. And when I saw that notice, I knew it was meant for me. I applied for the position of housekeeper. As Adeline waited for the stagecoach to arrive, she felt a mix of excitement and apprehension. This was her chance to start over, to leave behind the painful memories of her past and forge a new path for herself. But as she looked around at the unfamiliar sights and sounds of the town, she couldn't help feeling a bit overwhelmed. Hey, you're not from around here, are you? Sir, your impertinence is unwelcome. I suggest you refrain from commenting on matters that do not concern What's you. What's wrong with your hand? What's wrong with your face? How about you keep your nose out of my business, you dirty son of a bitch? <laughs> my, my, my. If it isn't the witch with six fingers. What are you doing here, Adeline? Don't you know that you're not welcome in these parts? <laughs> Look at her, all skittish and afraid. She must know that we know what she is. A witch, I tell you. Six fingers is a sure sign of the devil's mark. I bet she's out here prowling around like a cat, looking for some poor, unsuspecting soul to curse. That's what witches do, don't you know? She probably thinks she's so special with her strange little hands and her eerie ways. But she ain't nothing but a freak, and everyone knows it. I say we give her a taste of her own medicine, teach her what it feels like to be an outcast. Maybe then she'll learn her lesson and stay away from decent folk like us. <laughs> made her way to Hendrickson Hall, she felt a twinge of nervousness in her stomach. What if she wasn't good enough for the job? What if the family didn't like her? But she pushed these thoughts aside and focused on the task at hand. Welcome to Hendrickson Hall, Miss Thornway. I hope the journey was not too arduous. Thank you, Mr. Hendrickson. 
It was fine. I'm grateful for the opportunity to work for your family. We're happy to have you. Hello, it's nice to meet you. My daughter, Zaria. I hope you'll be like family to her as well. Of course, Mr. Hendrickson. I love children. Adeline settled into her new life at the estate, taking care of the household and the young Zaria. She was a strict but loving caregiver, and the girl adored her. One day, Reinhardt caught Adeline perusing his library. He watched as she reached for a book that caught her interest, her fingers tracing the spine as she read the title. As she opened it to the first page, he made a small noise, causing her to startle and quickly leave the room. It wasn't because he minded her borrowing the book, but because he wanted to give her a copy to call her own. He saw the light in her eyes as she read, the way she was transported to another world by the words on the page. And he knew that he wanted to encourage that passion in her, to nurture it and watch it grow, just as he did with Zaria. Mrs. Thornway, I wanted to speak with you. I couldn't help but notice your interest in my library the other day. Oh, don't fret. You are not in any sort of trouble. I wanted to give you this as a gift. A way to start your own personal library, if you will. A little laugh told me that you are often looking at this particular volume. I hope you enjoy it. A Tale of Two Cities. I've always wanted to read this. Thank you, sir. It's been a long time since I've been able to read something like this. It takes me back to a time when I was young and full of dreams. Tell me more about that time, Adeline. What were your dreams? I wanted to be a writer. I used to scribble stories in my notebook and dream of taking them to a publisher's office. But life had other plans for me. Life has a way of doing that, doesn't it? But it's never too late to pursue your dreams, Adeline. Maybe you could start writing again, just for yourself. You think so, sir? As a matter of fact, I do. I believe that everyone should have a chance to follow their passions, no matter their age or circumstances. Adeline's fingers never bothered Reinhardt, nor did her past. He saw her for who she was, a kind-hearted woman who deserved a second chance at happiness. Adeline continued to read her book, lost in the story of love and adventure. But little did she know her past was about to catch up with her in a way she never imagined. Zaria walks alongside Adeline through the township. They pass by friendly faces, but Zaria can feel the whispers and stares directed towards Adeline. People can be so cruel. They smile and say hello to us, but I know what they're really thinking. They're staring at Adeline's hand. I told her that I loved her hand and the extra finger. I told her it makes her special because she has an extra finger to grasp onto the things she loves. She smiled and said, like you? Mrs. Adeline is so strong, she doesn't let it get to her. She never complains, never shows any weakness. I wish I could be like her. She's so kind to me, even though she has to deal with this every day. I don't know how she does it. I don't think I could be as strong as she is. But I can tell it's getting to her. She's trying to hide it, but I can see the hurt in her eyes. I wish there was something I could do to make it go away. I may not be able to stop the whispers or the stares, but I can at least be here for her. I will always be her friend. And maybe, just maybe, that will be enough. I saw her yesterday, you know. Oh, Adeline, how is she faring? As if we care. But I did see her walking into Hendrickson Hall. Hendrickson Hall? How did she manage that? As a housekeeper, of course. Can you believe it? That little nobody living in the lap of luxury. Well, I suppose we shouldn't begrudge her a job, no matter how menial. Oh, please, you know what this means. 
She'll be rubbing elbows with Mr. Hendrickson himself. God only knows what he sees in her. What do you mean? Don't tell me you haven't noticed. The way he looks at her, the way he talks to her, it's positively scandalous. And have you seen the way that little girl, Zaria, clings to her? It's unnatural. Are you suggesting? I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying there's more to this than meets the eye. And I, for one, am curious to find out what it is. Ladies, I have a proposition for you. Do tell, Eloise. What have you got up your sleeve? I've convinced my husband to buy a small claim on the mine. Your husband? Uh, a miner? Not exactly, but that's not important. What's important is that we'll have a legitimate reason to visit Hendrickson Hall. And who knows what kind of trouble we can stir up while we're there. I see what you're getting at. A chance to put that upstart housekeeper in her place. Exactly. And while we are there, we will make sure that she knows her place. I like the way you think, Eloise. It's going to be a wonderful day. <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Have you ever heard that saying, Zaria? No, Adeline. What does it mean? It means that life can be wonderful, but it can also be very hard. You have to appreciate the good times and be strong during the bad ones. I will, Adeline. That's my girl. Now, let's get you ready for bed. I came here to make a new start, to be somebody, and I did it. I made a life for myself, but these people, they won't forget where I come from. They won't let me... But Adeline, you're different. That's what makes you special. Special? They don't see it that way. They see a freak with six fingers on her left hand. They don't see me. They don't see the person I am inside. I see you, Adeline. And I know you are so much more than one can count, even on a six-fingered hand. <laughs> Thank you, Zaria. You always know what to say to make me feel better. Adeline's bitterness turned to cruelty and she took pleasure in the pain of others. She reveled in gossip and had a sharp tongue. Her past traumas left her with scars that were not so easily forgotten. One day, a group of ladies came to the Hendrickson mansion for tea. Adeline, dear, could you pour us some tea? Of course, madame. And don't be too long. We don't have all day. Of course, I wouldn't want to keep you waiting. They were known to be cruel and nasty to everyone, including Adeline. Oh, that girl, she's hardly fit to be serving tea to society. Ladies like us, look at her, with her plain face and frizzy hair. It's no wonder she's nothing more than a servant. And her dress, it's positively ghastly. I don't know why they let her out of the mines. <laughs> I doubt she knows the first thing about proper etiquette. I'm surprised she hasn't spilled the tea all over the place. Adeline, who had been in the kitchen making tea, heard every word of their conversation. She's nothing more than a commoner. The only place for someone like her is in the kitchen where she belongs. She couldn't believe the ladies would speak about her in such a manner, but she knew better than to say anything. She finished making the tea and returned to the parlor, trying her best to keep her composure. We were starting to think you'd never come back. Don't spill it now. We wouldn't want a mess on this fine carpet. As Adeline served the tea, the ladies continued to make snide remarks about her appearance and status, but she did her best to ignore them. 
Little did they know their insults would soon catch up to them. I'll ne'er forget the day I saw her sixth finger. It was like a sign from above telling us all what we already suspected, that Adeline was a witch. She always kept to herself, never made eye contact, and had this eerie aura about her. And then we saw that extra finger, and it all made sense. We were just young'uns then, and we didn't know any better. We thought it was fun to taunt and tease her, to call her names and spread rumors about her being a witch. Looking back now, I can see how wrong we were. Adeline was just a lass, struggling to fit in and find her place in the world, and we made it so much worse for her. But that was a long time ago. And now, as I sit here feeling the poison coursing through my veins, I can't help but think that maybe this is fate. Maybe this is the universe's way of balancing the scales, of punishing me for the way I treated Adeline all those years ago. I hope she knows that I'm sorry. I hope she knows that I regret every cruel word and every hurtful action. And I hope that wherever... Adeline served them tea, but had poisoned the teapot. She had had enough of their taunts and insults. The ladies fell ill, and one of them, the doctor's wife, died. Cruelly snatched from me, my beloved wife now resides with the angels above. The sorrow of her loss is indescribable, a wound that will never fully heal, and the anger, the frustration that consumes me, it's overwhelming. I must confess, I never held trust for Adeline. There was something about her that always seemed amiss, that did not quite align with the ways of Shadowbrook Camp. Perhaps it was her modest apparel, her frizzy mane, or her tattered dress. Yet most of all, it was her six fingers, which some locals associate with witchcraft. Now, with the poison tea and the death of one of the ladies, it is unmistakable that Adeline was involved. How could she not be? She was the one who brewed the tea, the one who had access to the poison. It's plain to me that she is liable for the events that have transpired. I cannot imagine the anguish and misery these women must have undergone in their final moments. It's a thought that continues to haunt me incessantly, and yet there is no justice to be had. Adeline still roams free, unpunished for her vile deeds, the account of the tainted well in the Hendrickson household. It's a matter of skepticism for me. It appears too opportune, too easy to place the blame on something as elementary as contaminated water, but I cannot say for certain. Maybe there is some veracity to it. What I do know is that Mr. Hendrickson has been exceptionally considerate and benevolent to us in the aftermath of this calamity. He paid for the funeral expenses, despite having no obligation to do so. It's a gesture that I will forever cherish and hold dear to my heart, but it does not alleviate the pain, the anger that engulfs me. But I will not rest until justice is served. My wife and these other women deserve nothing less. Her memory will be preserved in my heart, and I will persevere until the perpetrator of her demise is brought to justice, one way or another. Rest in peace, my dear wife. Your memory will never fade away. That autumn, Adeline came down with influenza and was treated by the local doctor. The next evening, Adeline Thornway was dead. I don't suppose I really need to tell you what happened there, do I? When Adeline died, they said she was a witch, that her extra finger was a sign of her dark powers, and that she deserved to be shunned and feared. And yet, even in death, the rumors persisted. People would walk by her grave and mutter under their breath, 
crossing themselves for protection. They never stopped to think about what they were saying, about the damage they were causing. It wasn't until years later, when I had the chance to look through some old records, that I discovered the truth. Adeline wasn't a witch at all. She was just a girl with an extra finger, a girl who kept to herself and didn't fit in. And yet, because of the rumors and lies, she was buried alone in the old Witchcrest Peak Boneyard. It's near the swamps and not exactly a lovely spot to spend eternity. It breaks my heart to think about it, to think about the way we treated her, even in death. But it also reminds me that what we say and do in this life matters, that the words we speak and the actions we take can have a lasting impact even long after we're gone. The grave the townsfolk gave Adeline had a cruel headstone. Here lies Mrs. Adeline Thornway, a woman who was consumed by jealousy. She couldn't bear to see others happy, and so she took pleasure in their pain. But her cruelty caught up with her, and now she rests in this grave, alone and unloved. Forgive me for saying, but that's a load of horseshit. It couldn't be further from the truth. It wasn't until years later, when I stumbled upon the truth, that I discovered what had really happened to Adeline. And it broke my heart to think of the way she was treated, both in life and in death. Mr. Reinhard Hendrickson couldn't bear the thought of her being alone, even in death. He knew the truth about Adeline, and he knew that she deserved better. So in secret, he had her dug up and reburied in the family plot, with a much more befitting marker. But there was a small glimmer of hope. Reinhard had made sure that Adeline was placed right next to Zaria, close enough to touch. Maybe in death they had finally found the companionship and acceptance she deserved. I hope that someday the people of Shadowbrook will see Adeline for who she truly was. A girl who deserved love and kindness, not fear and hatred. And I hope that wherever she is now, she knows that she was never truly alone. That there were those of us who saw her for who she was, and who loved her despite the rumors and lies. Here lies Adeline Thornway, a woman misunderstood in life and wrongly accused in death. Her unique qualities and quiet nature were seen as a threat, but those who knew her knew the truth. She may have been alone in this world, but she was loved and valued by those who truly knew her. May she rest in peace, finally free from the cruel judgments of others. And at the very base of the tomb is engraved the final words from the novel she treasured, so... It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. As we tread through this sanctified earth, we shall hear the voices of the men, women, and children who helped build this town to what it was and what it stands as today. Our first companion on this pilgrimage is none other than the preacher who erected the very first church in this town. His sermons were renowned, and his unshakable faith served as a beacon of hope to many. It is said that God works in mysterious ways, and I must say I have witnessed his hand at work here in Shadowbrook Camp. When I first arrived here, I must admit, I was a bit taken aback by the rough and tumble nature of this town. But over time I have come to see the beauty in this place, in the people who call it home. I have seen the way they come together in times of trouble, the way they care for their neighbors and their families. And I have seen the way they turn to God in times of need. 
seeking his guidance and comfort. But I have also seen the darker side of this town, the way that some of its inhabitants can be quick to judge and slow to forgive. I have seen the way they shun those who are different, who do not conform to their narrow view of what is right and proper. And yet, even in the face of such cruelty, I have seen the power of forgiveness and redemption. I have seen those who were once outcasts welcomed back into the fold, their sins forgiven and their spirits renewed. For me, this is the true beauty of Shadowbrook Camp, not the natural beauty of its surroundings, though that is certainly a gift from God. No, it is the beauty of the human spirit, of our capacity for compassion and forgiveness, even in the face of great adversity. And so I pray that we may all continue to strive for this kind of beauty in our own lives and in the life of this town, that we may continue to see the good in one another, even when it is hard to find, that we may continue to be a shining example of God's grace and mercy for all who pass through this place. I came to Shadowbrook Camp for one reason and one reason only, the promise of gold. I left my wife and children behind in the hopes of striking it rich. But as time passed, it became clear that the gold was not as plentiful as I had hoped. Life in the mines was hard and dangerous. I've seen men lose limbs and lives in pursuit of that precious metal. And yet, I stay. Because what else do I have? My family is far away and I have nothing to return to. So I dig deeper, hoping that one day I will strike it lucky. But sometimes I wonder if it's all for naught. I've been a blacksmith for as long as I can remember. My father was one and his father before him. It's in my blood. There's something about working with your hands that's so satisfying. You start with a lump of metal and you hammer and shape and mold it until it becomes something useful. It's hard work, but it's worth it. I've seen a lot of changes in Shadowbrook Camp over the years. More and more people moving in, new buildings going up. But one thing that hasn't changed is the importance of hard work. Whether you're a miner or a shopkeeper or a farmer, you've got to work hard to make it in this town. And that's something I respect. I'll keep hammering away, making sure the horses are shod and the tools are sharp, because that's what I was born to do. I've been in Shadowbrook camp my whole life. My pa was a carpenter, just like me. I learned the trade from him, and I've been making furniture ever since. There's something special about making something with your own two hands, you know? It's like you're putting a little bit of yourself into every piece you make. I've made furniture for everyone in this town, from the Hendricksons to the Johnsons. But my favorite piece is the one I made for Mrs. Peabody. It was a beautiful cherry wood desk with intricate carvings and a velvet-lined drawer. She was so pleased with it that she even wrote me a thank you note. I still have it somewhere, but things have changed a lot since then. The town isn't what it used to be. The mines are closing down and people are leaving. It's hard to make a living here anymore, but I'm not one to give up easily. I've got my family and my craft, and that's all I need. I remember when Adeline first came to town. People whispered and pointed, but I didn't pay them no mind. I judged people by their character, not by their appearance. And Adeline had a good character. 
She was kind and gentle, and she loved to read. I even made her a bookcase once to hold all of her precious books. It was a shame what happened to her. I never believed she was capable of doing something like that. But that's the way of the world, I suppose. It's easy to judge someone based on rumors and gossip, but the truth is often more complicated than that. I always find it amusing how people treat me differently just because I have a little bit of money. They're all so quick to smile and nod and ask me how I'm doing. But I know the truth. They don't really care about me. They just care about my bank account. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to not have all of this money, to be just like everyone else. But then I remember how hard it was for me and my late husband when we were just starting out. We had nothing. And now look at me. I have everything I could ever want, except for the one thing I really need. But I won't let them get to me. I won't let them see me falter. I'll keep up the facade because that's what's expected of me. And maybe one day they'll realize that I'm more than just my bank account. Here lies Dr. Edward Peabody, a man who dedicated his life to healing others. Though he may be gone, his kindness and compassion will always be remembered by those whose lives he touched. May he rest in peace. Now, Dr. Edward Peabody, he was a curious character, a man of science and medicine, but with a heart as cold as a winter's night. He thought he was better than the rest of us with his fancy degree and his highfalutin ideas. But he had his secrets, too. And one of them was his wife's hatred for poor Adeline. I don't think he ever truly understood her the way he claimed to understand the workings of the human body. But he did his job, treated her like any other patient. Maybe he saw something in her that his wife couldn't, or maybe he just didn't care. Either way, he's gone now, and the town's a little less stuffy for it. I remember the day when Mr. Hendrickson brought us the news that we had struck silver. It was a miracle of sorts. We had been toiling in those mines for months, wondering if we would ever find anything worth our time. And then, we struck riches beyond our wildest dreams. But with wealth comes great responsibility. As the foreman, it was my duty to ensure the miners' safety and that we extracted and transported the precious metals carefully. The work was hard, dangerous, and required a close eye on every step of the process. When we struck gold, it was like a bolt from the blue. More men were needed to work the mines, and we had to be even more vigilant about safety and efficiency. It was a way of life. We worked hard, played hard, and were all part of something special. The mines were our home, and the people we worked with were our family. Looking back, I realized how fortunate we were to have found the silver and gold, but it came at a heavy price. Many of my fellow miners paid with their lives, and even those who survived carried the scars of the dangerous conditions. But we believed in the power of perseverance and the possibility of striking it rich, and for a time we were the wealthiest men in the world, in spirit if not in material goods. As a foreman, I thought mines were no place for a lady. But when I saw little Zaria Hendrickson standing on a box, surrounded by my men, singing with a voice as sweet as an angel's, I realized that maybe I was wrong. There was something about her that made everything seem brighter. Zaria brought a spark of life into the dark tunnels of the mine, and the men loved her for it. They would gather around her, filthy and tired, to hear her sing. It was a sight to behold, really. These rough, tough miners brought to their knees by the beauty of a little girl's voice. And I couldn't help but feel a little jealous, jealous of the way she could make them forget about their troubles, even if just for a moment. But as much as I tried to resist, I found myself drawn to her, too. 
I would sneak off from my duties just to catch a glimpse of her singing and to hear her laughter ringing through the tunnels. In a way, she brought us all together, the miners, Reinhardt, Adeline, and myself. We were all united in our love for this little girl and in our desire to protect her from the dangers of the mine. Even now, years later, I still remember her voice. It's like a beacon of hope in the darkness, a reminder of a time when life was simple and the only thing that mattered was the sound of a little girl singing in the mine. I recollect the first time young Zaria sang in the mine. It was akin to a beam of sunlight in a gloomy day. The miners toiled hard every day, and I knew they were exhausted and drained. But then I saw her standing there on that makeshift stage, surrounded by those brawny men. And when she commenced to sing, it was like everything else just faded away. I always knew Zaria was unique. She had a radiance that gleamed brighter than anything I had ever seen. But in that moment, amongst those tough miners, she truly came alive. It wasn't just her melodious voice, even though it was lovely, of course. It was her demeanor, with such elegance and composure. It was the way she made everyone feel cherished and welcome, regardless of who they were or what they did. I knew then that it was my responsibility to shield her, to keep her safe from harm. I ensured that she was always with me when we carried lunch to the miners and that she never wandered far from my side. But despite the perils lurking in the mine, I never regretted bringing her there. It was a place where she could be herself, where she could sing and laugh and feel unencumbered. And the miners adored her for it. They would do anything for her and always treated her with the utmost deference and benevolence. Looking back, those lunch breaks in the mine were the happiest moments of my life. It wasn't just the singing or the laughter or the joy of seeing these hard-working men take a break from their toils. It was the sensation of being part of something more significant than myself, of being part of a family that cared for one another. Despite the mine's danger, I knew we were there for a reason. We were there to help one another, to elevate one another, and to find joy in the midst of darkness. With Zariya by our side, I knew that anything was feasible. During my days taking care of Zariya, she often spoke to me about her mother's teachings on noblesse oblige. She was a bright and inquisitive child, always asking questions and eager to learn about the world around her. Her mother had instilled in her a sense of obligation towards the less fortunate, and Zariya took this lesson to heart. She frequently came to me with ideas on how we could help the miners and their families, and together we planned and executed these minor acts of kindness. Zaria was the driving force behind the lunch carriage. She told me how she wanted to ensure that the miners had a warm meal during their long and arduous work day, and how she thought it was essential to demonstrate that we cared about their well-being. Despite her young age, Zaria had wisdom beyond her years. She understood that with wealth and privilege came a responsibility to give back to the community, and she was determined to do her part. Even now, as I reminisce about those days, I am struck by her kindness and compassion. She was genuinely a remarkable child, and I feel privileged to have been a part of her life. I remember the day I drove Mr. Hendrickson and little Zaria into town. She was singing the whole way, and I couldn't help but smile. I remember the day the songbird became ill. She had just finished singing for us in the mine, her sweet voice echoing through the tunnels. But as she was leaving, I saw something pass over her face. 
It was like a shadow, just for a moment. But I knew something wasn't right, and sure enough, within a few days, she was bedridden with a high fever. Some of the miners whispered that it was the Wendigo that had done it, that the creature had stolen her voice and now her life. Others said it was just bad luck, that illness was common in those days. But I couldn't shake the feeling that something was amiss. And when she died, it felt like the darkness that had taken hold of our town had claimed another victim. Zaria's illness was like a plague that swept through the town. At first, we didn't think much of it. Just another fever, another sickness to overcome. But then more and more people began to fall ill. And we realized that something was seriously wrong. Some of the miners started to talk about the Wendigo, about how the creature was punishing us for daring to dig into the earth. And when Zaria died, it felt like a confirmation of their fears. We were all afraid, afraid of the sickness, afraid of the darkness that seemed to be closing in on us. Looking back, I can see that we were all just grasping for an explanation, something to make sense of the horror that was unfolding around us. But at the time, it felt like the end of the world. And in a way, I guess it was. The end of a world that had once been full of light and hope but was now consumed by darkness and despair. I've been preaching in this town for over three years, but I have never seen such an outpouring of grief. The entire town has come to a standstill since little Zaria Hendrickson passed away. It's as if the sun has been eclipsed and a darkness has fallen over the entire town. I have been holding services, but I fear that even the words of the Lord cannot ease the pain that everyone is feeling. The only thing that can bring solace is time and the knowledge that Zaria is now in a better place, singing with the angels. As the sun set on Shadowbrook camp, the townspeople gathered in mourning for the loss of Zaria. The bell atop the mining operation tolled mournfully a solemn sound that echoed through the valley. Reinhard Hendrickson stood at the front of the crowd, his face etched with grief. He spoke of Zaria's love for the miners and her joy in singing for them, and how her voice had brought light to the darkness of the mines. The miners stood in silence, their faces streaked with tears. They shared stories of Zaria's kindness and her love for life, and how she had lifted their spirits on even the darkest days. As the night wore on, the townspeople lit candles in memory of Zaria, the flickering flames illuminated their grief and their hope, casting a warm glow on the faces of those who mourned. And echoing over the trees and into the wilderness, the bell continued to toll, a reminder of the price of progress and the cost of loss. one of many who worked in those mines, day in and day out. We dug and we dug, and we never knew what was going to come out of the earth. But that day, that horrible day, everything changed. We felt the earth shake beneath our feet, and we heard a sound like thunder echoing through the tunnels. At first, we didn't know what had happened. Maybe a blast had gone wrong, maybe a support beam had given way, but as we made our way towards the surface, we could see the devastation all around us. The explosion had torn apart the mine. 
there were rocks and debris everywhere. We heard screams and cries for help, and we knew that our friends and colleagues were trapped in there, buried under all that rubble. We worked tirelessly to try and dig them out, using our bare hands if we had to, but the hours turned into days, and the days turned into weeks, and still we found no sign of them. It was like they had vanished into thin air. And as if that wasn't bad enough, there were other things happening down there too. Strange noises and whispers in the dark, shadows flitting around the edges of our vision. Some of the men started to say that the mines were cursed, that we had disturbed something ancient and malevolent. I didn't know what to think, but I knew that I didn't want to be down there any longer than I had I remember the day of the explosion like it was yesterday. I was standing in the livery just outside of town when I heard the sound. It was like nothing I had ever heard before, a deep, guttural roar that seemed to shake the very ground beneath my feet. I knew right away that something terrible had happened, and I jumped on my horse and rode as fast as I could towards the mines. When I arrived, the scene was chaos. Men were shouting and running in every direction, trying to save their comrades who were trapped beneath the rubble. The air was thick with smoke and dust, and I could barely see ten feet in front of me. But I pushed through, determined to help in any way I could. For hours, we dug through the debris, our hands bleeding and our backs aching. But no matter how hard we worked, we couldn't save them all. Some of the miners were already dead, crushed beneath the rocks, while others were barely hanging on, their limbs twisted and broken. And through it all, Reinhard Hendrickson was there, working alongside us. He didn't leave the mines for days. Not until every single body had been recovered and given a proper burial. He was a man of honor and integrity. And he cared deeply for his employees. But even in the midst of all that tragedy, there was something else at work. Something darker and more sinister. I heard whispers among the miners. Rumors of a curse that had descended upon Shadowbrook Camp. Some said it was the Wendigo come to claim its victims. Others said it was the work of the devil himself punishing us for our sins. And then there were those who claimed to have seen things. Shadows moving in the dark, figures lurking just out of sight. They said that the explosion had unleashed something terrible, something that was now loose in the town and feeding on our fear. I didn't believe in any of that, of course. I was a practical man with no time for superstition or nonsense. But even I had to admit there was something in the air that day. Something that made my skin crawl and my heart race. And I knew deep down things were never going to be the same again. My heart still aches when I think back to that fateful day. I was at the mouth of the mine, hammer in hand, ready to get to work. But before I could even take my first swing, there was a sudden blast, so loud and so powerful that it felt like the whole world had been shaken to its core. <laughs> In the chaos that followed, I ran towards the mine, desperate to help my fellow miners. The scene that greeted me was one of utter devastation. Bodies were scattered everywhere, some crushed by falling debris, others burned beyond recognition. It was like something out of a nightmare. The days that followed were a blur. We worked tirelessly to recover the bodies of our fallen comrades, digging through the rubble and debris, hoping against hope that we would find someone alive, but it was all for naught. In the end, the death toll was staggering. In addition to these deaths, the explosion also resulted in numerous casualties. It's likely that around 375 miners 
were working in the mine at the time of the blast and significant number of them were killed or injured. We were able to rescue around 25 miners who were near the entrance and escaped the worst of the blast, but that still left hundreds who were directly impacted. For weeks, the town was consumed by grief. Families mourned the loss of their loved ones, and the mine was shut down indefinitely. And those of us who survived were left to pick up the pieces and try to move on. But it was a struggle. The memories of that day would haunt us for years to come, but we persevered. We rebuilt what we could, and we leaned on each other for support. The scars of that tragedy will always be with us, but we refuse to let it define us. We are a resilient people, and we will always remember the sacrifices of those who came before us, even as we move forward into an uncertain future. Now, I was no stranger to death, but the explosion in the mine was something different altogether. It was a tragedy that claimed the lives of so many men, leaving behind grieving families in a community in mourning. In the days and weeks that followed, I found myself visiting the graveyard more and more frequently. It was a solemn place, a reminder of the cost of the work we did in those mines. But it was also a place of solace, a place where the families of the miners could come to grieve and pay their respects. I remember Mr. Hendrickson coming to me after the explosion, telling me whatever he needed, he would procure no matter the cost. And I'll never forget the way he made sure that each miner had a proper burial, even if their bodies were never recovered. It was a small comfort to their families, but it meant everything to them. The explosion in the mines devastated our town, killing many of our men and closing the mines for good. Despite the loss, my family and I stayed behind, holding on to the hope that Shadowbrook Camp would one day come back to life. But the years passed, and the town slowly faded away, like a ghost haunting a place long after it's been abandoned. Those of us who remained did what we could to survive, tending to our gardens and livestock and keeping each other company in the lonely nights. The passing of Reinhard Henriksen was like the final breath of life for Shadowbrook Camp. His presence had been the only thing keeping the town alive, and with him gone... The end was finally near. The town was laid to rest, and we were left with nothing but memories and the hope that someday, somehow, it would rise again. Walking through the empty streets and past the abandoned buildings, I can feel the weight of the past pressing down on me. The memories of what once was are all around me, like whispers in the wind. But even though the town is empty and forgotten, I can't help but feel a sense of peace. The town itself seems at rest, finally able to lay down and let go. And even though there are no more voices left to hear, I know that the spirits of those who have gone before us still linger. Their stories will always be a part of this place, even if the town itself has been forgotten. And so... I will continue to walk these empty streets to remember the past and honor the ghosts of those who have gone before us. For even in death, they are still a part of this town and always will be. I remember when Mr. Hendrickson first moved into that big old house at the edge of town. He was a strange one, always keeping to himself. 
and never really mixing with the other folks in town. But I didn't think much of it at first. P plenty of people come to Shadowbrook to escape their past or find some peace and quiet, but then the delivery started coming. At first it was just uh, the usual stuff, furniture, fabrics, um, kitchenware. But then the packages started getting stranger and stranger. I delivered antique dolls with missing eyes, taxidermy animals with twisted expressions, and jars of preserved organs. Each package was weirder than the last, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease every time I set foot on that property. And then there were the stories. People in town started talking about how they had seen strange lights and heard strange noises coming from Reinhardt's house at night. Some said they had seen ghostly apparitions in the windows or heard screams coming from the basement. I tried to ignore it all, to chalk it up to small-town gossip and superstition, but then Zaria died and Adeline not long after, and something inside me started to stir. I began to wonder if there was something more to Reinhardt's strange behavior and the haunted objects he was collecting. And now, here I am, a ghost in this very cemetery. I can see the old estate from here, and I can feel the pull of those haunted objects, even from this distance. It's like they're calling to me, begging me to come closer. As the years passed, Reinhardt never left the estate. He continued to receive packages and deliveries, filling every room with haunted objects. The house was never purchased again, and eventually the entire area was mostly forgotten. But for those of us who still remember Shadowbrook Camp, the stories live on. We remember the miners who risked their lives every day and the families who waited for them to return home. We remember the young girl with a voice like an angel who brought joy and hope to a place filled with darkness. And we, we remember the grieving man who lived alone in a haunted mansion surrounded by objects with a dark and sinister past. What was he searching for in those seances? Did he ever find what he was looking for? The answers may be lost to time, but the stories remain. As you walk through the old cemetery and hear the voices of those who have gone before us, you are reminded of the rich and haunted history of Shadowbrook Camp. And as you come upon my tomb, know that I too am a part of this history, forever bound to this town and its secrets. Here lies Johnny Bailey, forever young and free. He lived life on horseback. In the saddle is where he'll be. His spirit roams these hills, forever chasing the wind, leaving behind a legacy that will never, ever end. I had no family left in Shadowbrook and few friends, but even in death, Mr. Hendrickson made sure that I was taken care of. He provided for my funeral and made sure that I had a proper burial in this old cemetery. I may have died alone on that horse, but in a way, I never truly left this town. My spirit remains here among the ghosts of those who came before me. And as long as there are people who remember our stories and the history of this place, we will continue to live on. So as you leave my grave, and continue on your journey through this cemetery. Remember that we are not just names on headstones. We are the voices of the past, the ones who helped shape this town into what it is today. And even in death, we are still here, watching over Shadowbrook Camp. I've heard that cruel rhyme one too many times. Ruth and Johnny, side by side, went out for a carriage ride. They hit a bump, Ruth hit a tree, and Johnny kept going, ruthlessly. Let me set the record straight. The rhyme is wrong. If it had been a carriage, Ruth, being a lady, would have been inside. But it wasn't a carriage. It was a buggy. And that's why she was right there beside me. We weren't racing either. We were just enjoying a quiet ride through the countryside. 
What really happened that night was a terrible accident. Something spooked the horse, and before we knew it, we were careening down the road at breakneck speed. I did everything I could to control the animal, but it was no use. We hit a tree, and Ruth was thrown from the buggy. It was the worst night of my life. I loved Ruth. I truly did. But we both knew that we weren't meant to be together. We were trying to make it work, but it just wasn't meant to be. And now she was gone, and I was left with the weight of my guilt and grief. It's been years since that terrible accident, but that rhyme still stings. People like to make up stories and twist the truth to suit their own purposes, but I know what really happened that night. I lost someone I cared about deeply, and the memory of her still haunts me to this day. So please, don't believe everything you hear. The truth is often more complex than a simple rhyme can capture. People may call it Zaria Hollow these days, but it was named after the little girl who lived there, Zaria Hendrickson. She was a bright light in a dark town, and her passing left a hole in the hearts of everyone who knew her. The tragedy that befell this cursed town is still felt to this day. Adeline Thornway, the loyal caretaker who dedicated her life to the Hendrickson family, is still there in that house. And she's not alone. There are other spirits there, too, all bound by the darkness that hung over this place. It's a shame that people today don't know the real story behind the name. They think it's just some spooky moniker, but it's so much more than that. Zaria's Hollow is a name that carries the weight of a tragic history and the memory of a little girl who brought light to a dark world. When you hear people talking about it, just remember the true story behind it all. It's a story of love, loss, and the power of memory to haunt us long after we're gone. So let them call it what they want. But always remember the truth. It's Zaria's hollow. As for me, I've been here for a while now, watching the ghosts of the past cling to their memories and their regrets. And I'll be here long after you're gone, because that's the thing about this place. It holds on to the things it loves and the things it fears. So if you ever find yourself passing through these parts, take a moment to remember the ghosts that haunt Zaria's hollow. And if you see a figure in the window or hear the sound of a child's laughter, just remember, it's not just some old house. It's a monument to the past and the ghosts that still linger there. <laughs>